black on earth. Man, didn't NRA, they did themselves. They, they, their marketing is just superb because they just went out and found the finest white woman they could possibly find to be their spokesperson. And so, like, you, you, you can't hate the NRA because you're just sitting there, like, oogling Dana Loesch, right? She's really beautiful, I must say. I can't stand her, of course, and her and what she stands for. But if you listen to that, uh, they were talking about a study. They, they talked about a study done by the Washington Post. And then um, Ben Shapiro mentioned a study done by Roland G. Fryer, Jr. So this is a study called An Empirical Analysis of Racial Differences in Police Use of Force. It has an asterisk next to it. I guess that's... Oh, I, I guess because he's going to define use of force later on. And it, uh, it's done July 2017. All right, so there's some things that I want you to notice that he said, just be careful of what he's saying here, because he says here, let's play That's been one of the driving here. And he has uh, come out with a study, and what he found is that actually it's it's 20% light, less likely in the same circumstance the police would shoot a black man uh, than a white man. So you're, you're more likely to be shot in the same circumstances if you're, if you're white than if you're black. And this was supported last year by Professor J- Peter Moskos of, over at John Jay College at City University of New York. So we've known for several years that this is true, that, that the idea that, that black... See, so he says we've known for several years that this is true. We know this is true. We know this is true. And he's basing it on this study. Now, he mentions, I think, uh, two other studies besides this one, but this is his main study. He's basically saying those other studies corroborate this study. And this study is 56 pages long, but it's actually a very good read. It's not, um, you don't even have to like to read to go through this. Uh, he's a very good writer, and he organized it very well. Uh, he, you know, he goes through, let me see here. All right, so I want you to hear this, what he has to say in the beginning. He says, this is this is just part of page one. This is the uh, introduction on page one. It's actually the last paragraph. No, it's not the last paragraph of the introduction. It's somewhere in the middle. I think it's page one. But he says here, These incidents, some captured on video and viewed widely, have generated protests in Ferguson, New York City, Washington, Chicago, Oakland, and several other cities, and a national movement, Black Lives Matter, and a a much-needed national discourse about race, law enforcement, and policy. Police precincts from Houston, Texas, to Camden, New Jersey, to Tacoma, Washington, are beginning to issue body-worn cameras, engaging in community policing, and enrolling officers in training in an effort to purge racial bias from their instinctual decision-making. However, for all the airy similarities between the current spate of police interaction with African Americans and the historical injustices which remain unhealed, the current debate is virtually data-free. So just let it ring through your ears again, Ben Shapiro going, We've known for some time. Let's see. Let's play that again. College at City University of New York. So we've known for several years that this is true. That, that We've known for several years that this is true. Meanwhile, you have the actual author of this paper, the researcher, this professor here, saying to you that, however, for all the airy similarities between the current spate of police interaction with, Ameri- with African Americans and the, and the historical injustices which remain unhealed, the current debate is virtually data-free. And he's saying that there just isn't any data, enough data. They just aren't recording what they're doing. They're only now bringing out these body cams and dash cams. All these things are relatively new. 
what what was a little older and predates the body cams and the dash cams is just people with their own cell phones, right? Just like Charles Gambino told you, this is a celly. It's a tool, right? Um, and you see, understanding the extent to which there are racial differences in police use of force, if any, whether those differences might be due to discrimination by police or explained by other factors at the time of the incident is a question of tremendous social importance and the subject of this paper. Now, he goes on to say, which is very important. Remember Ben Shapiro. We've known this is true. But this is Ronald G. Fryer Jr. telling you that a primary obstacle to the study of police use of force has been the lack of readily available data. Data on lower level use of force, which happens more frequently than officer-involved shootings, are virtually non-existent. Okay, The data for lower level force is non-existent. This is due in part to the fact, I'm sorry, this is due in part to the fact that most police precincts do not explicitly collect data on use of force. And in part due to the fact that even when the data is hidden in plain view within police narrative accounts of interactions with civilians, it is exceedingly difficult to extract. So he's just telling you right there that the police themselves are not doing a great job of of collecting the data on their interactions with civilians specifically when it comes to lower level uses of force and lower level he's just being he's just being relative because a lower level use of force is i didn't shoot you the lower level use of force is i slammed your head into the concrete the lower level use of force is i slammed you to the ground i kicked you i punched you right i beat the shit out of you so what he's even saying here is for example if it wasn't for the dash cam we wouldn't have known about sandra blonde at all we wouldn't because that he used a lower level use of force on Sandra Bland, that officer. What was the officer's name? We should say his name and invite him to the BBOE audience. Come on down. Trooper Brian Encenia. Okay, so Brian Encenia. Now, I'm not saying him specifically, but I'm saying as a general practice, you could imagine, it's, it's safe to say, that had it not been for the dash cam, he would not have reported the incident with her, or he would have reported it in such a way that they couldn't even collect data from it, and we wouldn't have known Sandra Bland. We would, she would have just been somebody that died in the cell. And we wouldn't have known that there was this altercation beforehand at all. He just, it would have just been a traffic stop. Yeah, we stopped her in traffic. And then the only thing that you would have known at all is that she did have some, uh, I guess, some issues with depression and so on and so forth. And that would have written that up. The only thing that threw that whole case into contention was that we saw the dash cam footage. All right. So he says, moreover, the task of compiling rich data on officer-involved shootings is burdensome. Until recently, data on officer-involved shootings were extremely rare and contained little information on the details surrounding an incident. But yet, Ben Shapiro would have you would have you think that they've known this is true. They've known this is true. But Ronald G. Fryer Jr. is telling you that this is a burdensome study because those fucking cops are not saying what's happening. They're not collecting the data on it. It's only because these shootings have been happening and people are out there with their cell phones that they are now forced to start to to report on it now more frequently and wear the dash cams. And look how many things we're catching with these body cams and dash cams. We're catching incidences where cops are planting drugs. They're threatening um, uh, civilians to plant guns on them. They're shooting them unarmed. Treating them vastly more different than they might treat a white person. We're seeing it on camera. All right, let me see here. 
So he says, a simple count of the number of police shootings that occur does little to explore whether racial differences in the frequency of officer-involved shootings are due to police malfeasance or differences in suspect behavior. So he's saying a simple count of the number of police shootings that occur. You you can't tell the, the frequency because of all of this lack of data, because there isn't any rich data. There isn't much for him to go on. And only recently has it changed. Uh, let me see here. What else has he got? In this prep, in this paper, we estimate the extent of racial differences in officer in police use of force using four separate data sets. So he's going to tell you the data sets. And this is interesting. You need to understand how he's using these data sets. This is very important to to the point that uh, to just understanding how this thing is how this study is even being done. In this paper, we estimate the extent of, of racial differences in police use of force using four separate data sets. Two constructed for the purposes of this study, okay? Unless otherwise noted, all results are conditional on an interaction. Understanding potential selection into police data sets due to bias in who police interacts with is a difficult endeavor, okay? So he's, he just keeps repeating how difficult this study is, okay? Understanding potential selection into police data sets due to bias. So he's already acknowledging that there is a bias. There has to be bias because human beings are biased. And who police interact with is a difficult endeavor. Section 3 attempts to help get a sense of potential bias in police interaction. So they're trying, they're using these different models because this is what he does. He does studies and they have these methods that they use and these models that they recreate in order to... Uh, most accurately extract data. Put simply, if one assumes police simply stop whomever they want for no particular reason, there seem to be a large racial differences. If one assumes they are trying to prevent violent crimes, then evidence for bias is exceedingly small. Okay, so he's saying that there's two ways to look at it. There's only two ways to look at it. It's either they're stopping people randomly, and it, but they're stopping whoever they want, you know, whenever they feel like it. Or they're actually seeing a crime, or they they sense that a crime is about to be committed, or they have some kind of probable cause, and so they're getting they're interjecting themselves into it. So he's saying, if they're just doing whatever they want, it's op- totally up to the officer's whim. Now he just feels like doing it. Then there is a large racial bias. However, if they're just there to prevent crime, if you look at the data, if you look at what I'm what the data that I have compiled, and you make the assumption that no, they're just acting off of very good faith. These are good people then they don't see a racial bias, okay? How he makes that distinction, I'm not quite sure. And maybe somebody smarter than me will understand it. So now he's about to go into the data sets. Of the four data sets, okay, four data sets, the first comes from NYC's New York City's Stop, Question, and Frisk program. Hereafter, Stop and Frisk, so he's just going to call it Stop and Frisk now. So he's getting all the reports that the police are making from Stop and Frisk in New York City, okay? Stop and Frisk is a practice of the New York City Police Department to which police... It's basically um, broken windows, right? Police Department in which police stop and question a pedestrian. Then can frisk them for weapons or contraband. Okay, now that's absolutely illegal unless they're de- being detained for committing a crime. No cop can just search you upon questioning you. And I want you to note this practice <clears throat> because this is going to be the exact practice employed for pre-crime. That's what the cops are going to be doing at pre-crime. They're going to be dispatched to particular zones that will, let's say, let's say the computer is saying, hey, there's a there's a 80% chance that a crime will be committed in this zone in between this time slot. So obviously when the cops go there, there's going to, not going to be a crime at that time, but they're going to feel free to walk around and question people. 
Now, they shouldn't be searching them, but just the fact that, I, that I'm encountering you, you're going to get points based on that. And remember, the whole pre-crime thing is going to be based on a point system. So in this in this instance, if they were already using pre-crime, and maybe in, an, in, a, in a certain sense they were using pre-crime when they were doing it by offering these summonses, they were putting these names in certain databases, they probably weren't using a point system at that time, but they still were able to keep tabs on you. But if this was pre-crime, when they're doing the stop and frisk, every time they stop somebody, they would note that, and that person would then get a point attached to their name for that encounter, you know, um, related to, you know, the magnitude of that encounter, or the quality, let's say, of that encounter. All right, so stop and frisk as a part of the New York City Police Department, and we stop and frisk and, uh, and question a pedestrian, then frisk them for weapons or contraband. The data set contains roughly 5 million observations, okay? So that's one data set. Uh, and, let me see, and important for the purposes of this paper, has detailed information on why, why I'm sorry, a, on, oh my God. So he's just saying that also important what included in this data that they're getting these five million observations that they're getting from the stop and frisk program. They're also getting a wide range of use of force, uses of force. So they get to they, so this is this is what he's saying earlier when he was saying it's difficult to extract sort of uh, quantitative data from a narrative that the, that the um, officers would be writing. But here he's getting a wide range of uses of force. So now they can sort of categorize them. So then, if they, so then, when they're feeding it to the computer, they can sort of give, um, say, like a, numer a numerical value or a letter or something abstract to each type of of use of force, and they can come up with a pattern. So the officer used his foot and he hit him in the head, or he kicked him, or he punched him. He used his mace, he used his baton, that sort of thing, and they can put like a numerical value on that. So, so the computer knows one equals this, two equals that. You know, hopefully you get you get what I'm saying. If you're a gamer, you definitely get what I'm saying. So, uh, oh, from okay, so so he's saying uh, wide range of use of force from putting hands on civilians to striking them with a baton, right? The second data set, so on to the second data set, is the police police public contact survey, a triennial survey of nationally representative sample of, of a national rep. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting all tongue tied here. The second data set is the police public contact survey, a triennial survey of a nationally representative sample of civilians which contains from the civilians point of view that's very important a description of interactions with police which includes use of force both these data sets are public use and readily available so now he, he's you see that he has two types of data he has four data sets this is just two one is a very intense program where the cops are actually going out you know um to in, to engage people and, and 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 there's a wide range of use of force so we're gonna have more civilian interactions with the cops in the one hand and it's going to be very frequent at that you know so they have a lot of data on cops in, interacting with civilians and it's going to be specifically in, in inner city neighborhoods and all of that good stuff so it's very specific on the other hand they have and it's also from the cops' point of view. So the, on the other hand, they have one that's from the civilian's point of view that's only put together every three years, triennially, if I have, if I have my defi definitions correct. Uh, it's from the civilian's point of view and also includes use of force. So now they have the police's point of view and the civilian's point of view, and they both have use of force. One is really intense and one is sort of loose because the data is only collected every three years. Both these data sets are public use and readily available, so he didn't have to go through any hoops to get it. The other two data sets were assembled for the purposes of this research. We used event summaries from all incidents in which an officer discharges his weapon at civilians, including both hits and misses, from the large cities in Texas, Austin, Dallas, Houston, six large Florida counties, and Los Angeles County. 
okay, to construct a data set in which one can investigate racial differences in officer-involved shootings. So they picked Texas, Florida, and Los Angeles. I don't know if those are, you know, even he's going to say, like, just think of that. Just think of this demographic that he's picking and what that really represents as far as a nationwide um, uh, model, right? To construct a data set, okay, so because all individuals in these data have been involved in a police shooting, so the, the, the second, the third data set, let me see, he said the other two data sets. Okay, so this third data set where he's pulling, um, he's pulling data only from when officers have actually shot their weapon. Whether they hit somebody or not is when they, sh when they pull the trigger and discharge their weapon from these three cities. So this one is, is not just um, all kinds of, a variety of use of force. There's only one type of use of force, and that is the maximum use of force. So because all individuals in these data have been involved in a police shooting, analysis of these data can only, be est can only estimate racial differences on the intensive margin. Uh, for example, did the officer discharge their weapon before or after the suspect attacked? Okay, so this is how they're judging the 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 bias of the officer. They're saying they're looking at these shootings, they're looking at these times when the officer discharged their weapon, and they're basically using a binary. Did they shoot before or after the person attacked? So they're going to see how many times the officer discharged his weapon at a black man who wasn't attacking him as opposed to a white man who wasn't attacking him compared to a black man who did attack him and a white, and a white man who, who did attack him, right? So they're going to look to see if there's any disparity between him discharging his weapon at a black man standing there as opposed to a white man attacking, right? So it's basically just a binary, and that's all they can do off of that one. To supplement, our fourth data set contains a random sample of police-civilian interactions from the Houston Police Department. Okay, so the fourth data set is just like, it's a very small data set. Right, and it's from these very, I would even call it strange demographics. So there's Texas, Florida, Los Angeles, and then he's getting the fourth data set from Houston Police Department from arrest codes in which lethal force is more likely to be justified. So he's collecting only those in which lethal force. If they if they did use use lethal force, if they did use lethal force, if they did pull their gun and try to shoot this person, or maybe even. I guess I guess even try to hurt them really badly, like try to kill them with their bare hands. You could say, okay, I could see why he would do that. The guy did have a gun. The guy did have a knife. The guy was choking that lady or whatever, right? Uh, attempted capital murder of a... Oh, so he gives examples, sorry. Attempted capital murder of a public safety officer. So these he's qualifying what would be a justified lethal use of force. Attempted capital murder of a public safety officer. Aggravated assault on a public safety officer. Resisting arrest. Evading arrest. And interfering in, a, in an arrest. Okay, that seems a little broad, but fine. Similar to the event studies above, these data came from arrest narratives. Okay, so he's once again, remember the narratives are problematic that range in length from two to 100 pages. So he's having to sift through some of these incidences that the cops are writing two pages and they're writing entire novels, like little, <laughs> like little novel series, okay? A team of researchers was responsible for reading arrest reports and collecting almost 300 variables on each incident. So they had to collect all the different um, things that could happen. Combining this with the officer-involved shooting data from Houston allows us to estimate both the extensive, whether or not the police officer decides to shoot, and the intensive. So he's defining the terms for you. So if, if the officer decides to shoot, that's called extensive, an extensive margin. And if they don't shoot, 
it's an intensive margin. So they do shoot extensive, they don't shoot intensive. Further, the, the Houston arrest data contains about 4,500 observations in which officers discharged charged electronic devices, okay? So he's including in the Houston arrest um, not just the discharge of their, of their firearm, but also of the taser. This is the second most extreme use of force, and in some cases is a substitute for lethal use of force, okay? The results obtained using these data are formative and in some cases startling. Listen to this. If you're still with me, <laughs> I'm reading this. It's totally interesting reading to me, so I hope you guys bear well. And I'll probably edit this down so it'll be a little more palatable. The results obtained using this data are formative, are informative, sorry, and in some cases startling. Using data on police interactions from NYC's Stop and Frisk program, we demonstrate that on lethal on non-lethal uses of force, putting hands on civilians, which includes slapping or grabbing, or pushing individuals into a wall or onto the ground, there are large racial differences. In the raw data, blacks and Hispanics are more than 50% more likely to have an interaction with police, which involves any use of force, accounting for 125 variables that represent baseline characteristics, encounter characteristics, civilian behavior, precinct and year fixed effects. The odds ratio on black, um, respective of Hispanic, is um, 1.78 uh, to 1.122. I'm not really sure what that means. What I do find interesting, though, is note that they're saying that blacks commit more crime and that's why they get arrested more and they're in jail more. But it, even in the study, they have a stop and frisk program, which he himself describes as, as a program where they're just stopping random civilians for nothing at all, questioning them and then searching them. So let's just let's just put that into perspective that within this study where we're debating whether there is bias amongst cops, there is an entire New York City police program where you're just stopping civilians and just and you can imagine which neighborhoods these are in. Right. And he already is telling you that when it comes to lower level uses of force, when it comes to cops just roughing you up and beating you up, it, it's a huge racial gap. So for somebody to then take correlate that from that. That a cop who is willing to beat you up and rough you up twice as often as he might do a, a non-person of color. But then not willing to shoot you more often? It seems very strange to me. That's a very high escalation from of interaction because I'm used to interacting with you in a very peaceful manner where I'm not putting my hands on you half of the time. But then suddenly I'm going to just shoot you. Whereas the other person who I'm having to put my hands on half of the time, I'm not going to shoot. Okay. All right, so here he goes. He continues. I'm, I'm almost done here. I'm not going to read this whole thing. We're on page... Does it tell me my page number? Page five. I'm on page five right now. Oopsie. This is, I'm almost done. Interestingly, as the intensity of force increases... Listen up. As the, and, he, and he's going to give you an example of what he means by increased use of force. Interestingly, as the intensity of force increases, handcuffing civilians without arrest, drawing or pointing a weapon, or using pepper spray or a baton, the probability that any civilian is subjected to such treatment is small, but the racial difference remains surprisingly constant. Okay? So when he says it remains constant, he's saying that the, the diff, remember the difference was was that Blacks and Hispanics were twice as likely to get roughed up. Now, as it is, as it increases, uh, even though the interactions with the, the 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 amount of civilians that they do this with decreases as they as they increase their level of force, level of use of force, the frequency of it happening with civilians goes down, but the racial difference remains two to one. For instance, um, 
Did he write 2.2? I don't know if he means 26% or or 0.2%. But um, he, he writes it as 0.2% of interactions between police and civilians involve an officer drawing a weapon. 0.02% involve using a baton. So if I were to read that as 26% involve uh, drawing a weapon, 2% involve drawing a baton. These are rare events. Yet, the results indicate that they are significantly more rare for whites than blacks. So, you can just see right now that Ben Shapiro and Dana Loesch are lying to you blatantly. I guess in hopes that you won't read the study. He says right here, the results indicate that they are significantly more rare. It's rare for any civilian to encounter this from a cop, this this escalation, right? Which is why we don't see relatively a lot of, of cop shootings, right? Relatively speaking, it seems like a lot because golly, it's happening so much. But when you when you when you measure for uh, for percentage of you know population and, and and all that good stuff, you realize it's not happening as often as other encounters with cops. But it's still significantly more rare for whites than blacks. With all controls, blacks are twenty percent more likely than whites to be involved in an interaction with police in which at least a weapon is drawn, and the difference is st- is statistically significant. Okay. They're lying that he just sat there and lied to you and said that they've known this is true for years. Now, mind you, I'm only on page four. I said page five earlier, but I guess I'm, I was wrong. I was on page four. So who knows what, what happens as you, as you read forward, and you don't have to take my word for it. But here it is. Data from the police public contact survey are qualitative, qualitatively similar to the results from stop and frisk, both in terms of whether or not any force is used and the intensity of force, though the estimated racial differences are significantly larger. Blacks and Hispanics are, are approximately 1.3% points more likely than whites to report any use of force in a police interaction, including controls for civilian demographics, civilian behavior, uh, contact characteristics, officer characteristics, and year. The white mean is 0.7%. So it's almost double um, for, for, them to re- for the blacks and Hispanics to report officer use of force so they're they're being that they're splitting that hair that much hair with it they're splitting hairs with it i don't know but they're being very exact with it it's just going by how often it's reported as opposed to how often it happens right that's the odds for the ratio i don't know how to interpret that odds and whatnot there are several potential explanations for the quantitative differences between our estimates using stop and frisk data and those using PPCS data, which is the um, the civilian reported data. First, we estimate odd ratios and the baseline probability. Uh, you don't want to hear all of that. Um, some of it you do want to hear. Second, the pieces of the banana. Third, the pieces gleaned from civilian profile finally by your controls. Okay, let me see. In stark contrast to non-lethal uses of force, we find that conditional on a police on on a police interaction, there are no racial differences in officer-involved shootings on either the extensive or intensive margins. In stark contrast to non-lethal use of force, we find that conditional or police interactions there are no racial differences. Okay, so here he's saying that they don't find uh, differences in when the police. An officer involved shootings when they actually shoot. He the, the data I was giving you before was that they draw the weapons on them, but this one is them actually shooting. And here they don't f- remember they said it was actually twenty percent lower. Dana Loesch said it, Ben Shapiro said it, and Larry Elder said it. Okay, and I think maybe I think maybe David Clark said it, but here they're saying um, that uh, there's no difference. There is just there's just no difference. But what they were saying was actually lower. Okay, using data from Houston, Texas, 
where we have both officer-involved shootings and a randomly chosen set of potential interactions with police where lethal force may have been justified, we find, after controlling for suspect demographics, officer demographics, encounter characteristics, suspect weapon, and year-fixed effects, that blacks are 27.4% less likely to be shot by a police relative to non-blacks. Okay, so here he's saying it, based on the Houston study of, of just pure shootings. But don't stop here, though. Keep 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 with me for a minute, because some of this stuff is going to be thrown into question, at least. Okay, so he said, so there he is agreeing with Dana Loesch uh, and and Ben Shapiro being more exact, because I, actually I was wrong, because they were they were talking about actually being shot. So he says here that blacks are actually twenty almost thirty percent less likely to be shot by police relative to non-blacks and non-Hispanics. This coefficient is measured with considerable error. That's why I told you it's going to be thrown into question. This coefficient is measured with considerable error and not statistically significant. So he makes a statement and then he almost debunks his own statement. He's saying this is what we found, but there's so much error with this. Don't really take it in. This result is remarkably robust across alternative empirical spe- specifications and subsets of the data. Partitioning the data in a, in myriad ways, we find no evidence of racial discrimination in officer-involved shootings. Investigating the intensive margin, the timing of shootings, of how many bullets were discharged in the endeavor, there are no detectable racial differences. Our results have several important caveats. So every time he makes his claim, he comes back and he says, but... Our results have several important caveats. First of all, first, all but one data set was provided by a select group of police departments. So he's being very thorough in letting you know that for all but one, so he he has four data sets. Three of those data sets are provided by a select group of police departments, meaning these were the ones that they that the police department itself, they selected them. He didn't get to randomly choose them, which would have made it more a more effective sampling they chose them which sort of biases the sampling off the top it is possible that these departments only supply the data because they are either enlightened or were not concerned about what the analysis would reveal so he's saying to you right there he says listen either they are just really forward thinking and they just really want people to find out what's actually happening here and they're enlightened or they know there's nothing happening with these particular uh precincts so you can have that data so just keep in mind, every time he, so when they say, we know this to be true, he's telling you don't know shit to be true, because I don't know shit to be true, and I'm doing a study. In essence, this is equivalent to analyzing labor market discrimination on a set of firms willing to supply a research, a researcher with their human research resources data. He's saying, in essence, this is the equivalent of me trying to investigate you, and I'm going, okay, hold up, hold up. You're going to investigate me? Um, all right, well, let me, let me pick which papers you, you look through. Or, or, um, or me going, well, what, you know, let me choose which offices you go through. He's telling you that. And you can read that however you want. But to me, it's very plain. And maybe we should get him on here and ask him. We should definitely invite. Oh, my God. I am going to invite. I'm going to see if I can get in touch with Roland G. Fryer Jr. Because that would be amazing. There may be important selections in who. See, he says it. He says he explains it. There may be important selections in who was willing to share their data. Okay, so they had the choice of who gave up the data. And they could just have, he's saying that there's the potential for them to have chose a very slow, benign um, precinct as opposed to a true random sampling of what's actually happening in Houston. The police public contact survey partially sidesteps this issue. So he's saying the, um, 
the Police Public Contact Survey, they sidestep the issue by including a national representative sampling of, of civilians, but it does not contain data on officer-involved shootings. So he's saying that the Police Contact Survey um, is a little bit better in its, in its randomness, in you being able to pick that, the random, but it doesn't include shootings. And so you, you can't really know what happened, what's really happening with shootings, okay? Now he says, here we go. Relatedly, and I'm, I'm going to stop here for sure. Relatedly, this is page six. Relatedly, even police departments willing to supply data may contain police officers who present contextual factors at that time of an incident in a biased manner. So he's saying even the police departments that are, that, that are like, yeah, we'll, we'll give you our data. They may contain... Um, officers who are reporting, so so even though they, they say, yeah, you can look at our stuff, but they could have officers in there who are not telling the whole truth in their in their uh, report. He says, and he says, so he says, I'll read it again. Relatedly, even police departments willing to supply data may contain police officers who present contextual factors at that time of an incident in a biased manner, making it difficult to interpret regression coefficients in the standard way. So they can't measure it in the standard way because they know that there's going to be biased officers even in these studies. It is exceedingly difficult to know how prevalent this type of misreporting bias is. So it, you can't tell how prevalent it is. So you don't really know who's lying and who's not. That's all he's saying, straight up. Accounting for context, contextual variables recorded by police officers who may have an incentive to distort the truth is problematic. So they can't account for officers who may have shot somebody based on, on race or hurt somebody or arrested somebody or accounted somebody simply based on their race because they have an incentive to distort the data. Okay? They don't want to get caught <laughs> and lose their job or go to jail. Yet, whether or not we include controls does not alter the basic qualitative, qualitative conclusion. And to the extent that there are racial differences in underreporting of non-lethal use of force, and police are more likely to not report force used on blacks. This is the this is the researcher saying it. He's already including as part of his study that police are going to be more likely not to report force on use of blacks. And he didn't say Hispanics. He didn't even include other minorities. He just said blacks. Our estimates may be a low may be a lower bound. Not reporting for officer involved shootings seems unlikely. So he's saying that that number is what they got when they did the study. But because they cannot really measure for bias, and there is a lot of bias, and they and they they have an incentive to not be honest, it's probably a lower number than that, than that twenty seven percent. And he says that not reporting officer involved shootings seems unlikely. So he's saying that if they did shoot, they're going to report it, but they probably won't rep report what the what the race of that person was. They're not going to put the data surrounding it and and the circumstances surrounding it. Last thing. Third, given the inability to randomly assign race, one can never be confident in the direct regression approach. Well, this is just the way that they do the, the plot, the, they plot their points. This is all direct regression and all this other stuff. Don't ask me to explain that part to you. That's just how they come up with their graphing numbers, you know, like you did like in, I don't know, high school trig or something like that. Uh, when interpreting racial disparity. So he says, Third, given the inability to randomly assign race, one can never be confident in the direct regression approach to interpreting racial disparities. So he's basically saying um, that he can't even be sure about the tools that he's using because of the way that this data is presenting itself. 
So given the ability to randomly assign race, he can't ra- he can't do randomly assign race. He can't really be confident in his in his approach to how he interprets these uh these disparities. We partially address this in two ways. First, we build a model of police-civilian interactions that allows for both statistical and taste-based discrimination. Taste-based discrimination just means that, um, yeah, a, preju- a racist officer, that's what he means by taste-based. Statistical means they're just going by the numbers. Taste-based means that they know that they're uh, a prejudice officer, but I think he explains it in here. And the use of predictions of the model to help interpret the data. For instance, if police officers are more statistical discriminators, then, then as a civilian signal to police regarding their likelihood of compliance becomes increasingly deterministic. Um, so basically, he's just saying like if they are um, not random, but they uh, they're sort of looking for non-racial cues. They're just going based upon what the uh, the encounter needs, like they're meeting force with force, so to speak. Then as a civilian signal to police regarding their likelihood of compliance becomes increasingly deterministic, racial differences should disappear. So he's saying, look, if the if the civilian is, is being compliant, then the officer should also be compliant and you wouldn't really see any racial differences if they're being statistical. To test this, we investigate racial differences in use of force on a set of police-civilian interactions in which the police report the civilian was compliant on every measure dimension was not arrested, and neither weapon nor contraband was found. In contrast to the model's predictions, racial differences on this set of interactions is large and statistically significant. So they were thinking that they were gonna not, weren't going to find that, that, that the officer should just com, you know, be cool because the, the, the civilian was being cool. But they just found that according to race, whether, whether the black guy and the Hispanic guy was being cool or not, the officer, it didn't determine the officer's coolness. Get me? He, so basically, he's acting off of race and not behavior. Additionally, we demonstrate that the marginal returns to compliant behavior are the same for blacks and whites. Um, so they both, so both blacks and whites sort of, you know, comply at, at the same rate. But the average return to compliance is lower for blacks, suggestive. So he's talking about for the, for, for the officers now. The average return to compliance is lower for blacks. So suggestive of a taste base rather than a statistical discrimination. So he's saying that it's showing racism. The study is showing that cops, basically the whole study is showing that cops are racist, period. Whether you want to argue, if you want to debate the whole shooting thing, we could do that. But if we can determine that the cops are racist and they're actually reacting to civilians based on race and they're actually treating minorities worse. And then he's going to and then he's saying, well, when it comes to shootings, they're fudging. They're potentially fudging some of the data. Some of this data is really biased, even the sources of where we're getting it from. I would predict that it's probably lower than what we're saying. It's not really a 20 percent disparity. There's a lot of problems here. But one thing that the study is showing is that cops are fucking racist. The majority of them in this study is. And that not to mention, within the study is a fucking racist program. Stop and frisk is completely racist. Uh, for officer-involved shootings, we employ a simple uh, but carrying outcomes test. For this so he's just showing the test. I mean, we cannot reject the no, no. Together, we argue that the results are more consistent with, but in no way proof of. So this is important, and I will stop here. I guess it's getting tedious. Together, taken together. So he just showed the different ways that they put together their data to come up with the best uh, results possible the most fair results possible, uh, taken together, we argue that the results are most consistent with, but in no way proof of, taste 
based discrimination among police officers who face convex costs of excessive use of force. Yet the data does more to provide a more compelling case that there is no discrimination in officers involved shooting than it does to illuminate the reasons behind racial differences in non-lethal uses of force. So basically he's saying that the results of the test are consistent with racism or prejudice, but it doesn't necessarily prove it. Um, he and then he's saying that the data actually does more. He said, "Yet the data does more to provide a more compelling case that there is no discrimination in officer-involved shootings than it does to illuminate the reasons why." So he's just saying, he's saying, "Okay, we've done the study. It looks like there's some prejudice here, but when you really, when you go apples to apples, we don't really see any racial prejudice when it comes to shootings. But we can't figure out why." There's this racial disparity when it comes to lower level uses of force. We can't figure out why, you know, it seems that they're not, they're shooting each other, they're shooting blacks and whites at the same rate, even though we can clearly see that there's prejudice here. And they can't figure out why. So then he goes in, that's just page six, and he goes in on how the rest of it is, and he goes through all his data, goes through the stop and frisk thing. So it's definitely worth reading. But just in that, in the first six pages, you start to see there's all kinds of issues with, with this data. Um, maybe in another episode, I'll, I'll go through and, and see it. And maybe I can get him on here. And maybe I'll read that paper and I'll email him, man, and see if I can't get him on here. But just think about that, you know, that here it is. We have, um, obviously we have proof of an entire racist precinct because he's caught on camera. Then, on, I'm sorry, on, on tape. Then he's also promoted, right? But even even barring what, what happened there and he was caught on tape, he was still promoted by his, his police commissioner or at least cleared for a promotion by his, by his police commissioner. He has 100 to 200 cops underneath him. Then we have the FBI investigating precincts in New Jersey, precincts in Ferguson, and finding that there's racism there. Then you have this very same study that they are citing showing that there is racism. And in that same thing, he's going, I don't think that there's a cadre of white supremacists that are just out to exterminate black people. When the study, the very study that he cites actually shows that there is a lot of racism. There is a lot of bias when these police officers encounter black people. But when it comes to the shootings, we just kind of get fudged. We're not really sure what's happening here. There's something up with the data, you know, and, and we need to figure that out. But without a doubt, there's a racial bias and they're and they're more willing to use force with people of color. I mean, what more do we need to know than that? We don't really need to know, know much more than that. And these are the guys that are going to be feeding data to these pre-crime computers. These are the guys that are going to be showing up and deciding whether or not they want to engage you and raise your point level. And then later on, have you evicted from your neighborhood and have you put into different places? They're essentially automating redlining. They're automating a Jim Crow system. They're automating slavery. They're automating um, racist law enforcement. And so that later on, when, when it's all said and done, once they get pre-crime in all these major cities plus, you won't be able to complain anymore. You won't have studies like this where you could point to this bias. They're just going to... Ben Shapiro, Dana Loge, Sheriff John Clark, Larry Elder... And the rest of that ilk are going to look at you and say, oh, now you're really out of your mind. You're accusing a computer of being racist now? It's a computer algorithm. Those cops don't know if they're, if they're arresting a black guy or a white guy, a short guy or a tall guy, a man or a woman. They're just doing what the computer tells them to do. Showing up where the computer tells them to show up. And unfortunately, at the same time, there are going to be some civilians who live in these communities who are going to welcome that. They're going to be like, yeah, we want the cops here. Because to a certain extent, he's right. When the police are there, obviously, they're not going to be committing as much crime. But then there's the potential that it, that 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 bell curve turns, and it's the police that are committing crimes against the civilians. Who's watching the watchmen? 
So that's my study. I'm on three hours and 33 minutes. I'm going to turn around and edit this. I'm going to and re-release it. Look out next week. Uh, later this week, not next week. Today's Wednesday. So by Friday, um, I will have the double dose of BBOE, Being Black on Earth, for you. You'll have episode 15. That's going to be actually a truncated version of the uh, hair care study that my daughter did. Um, I'm taking it away from her. I'm taking it out of her hands. I'm going to just present the interview and some uh, surrounding data around that. It should be very interesting still. Thank you for listening. Thank you for my listenership, my audience of 30 to 50 people. I appreciate you guys. Keep listening. You want to get in touch with me, remember that I have two Twitters. I have two Twitters. That's at Shay, S-H-A-A, good guy, and at Black on Earth. That's both Twitters. You can catch me on my Facebook page, which is Facebook slash being black on earth you can catch me on my patreon page if you want to give me some money you know help me pay some bills let me get a new computer i need a new computer i need a drone no, <laughs> to protect me from truth from, from uh pre-crime i need a wall around my house uh no my patreon is patreon slash being black on earth you can hit me on instagram you can follow me on instagram that would be lovely i usually put up some dope little posts and every time i do a new podcast i usually um post it up on there just the, the notification with the link in the bio, you know how it do. That's also at Shay underscore good guy. Remember, Shay is S H double A. You can hit me on my email, which would be wonderful. I would love to get some emails from you guys. That's blackbeing at inorbit.com. And I do believe that is all. And also, you can also find me at my home on Anchor, which is, you know, anchor.fm slash being black on earth. And if you go there, you can sponsor me. You can also hit me up with some cash there. I would mostly, I would. I would, um, blah, 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 blah. I'm already studying. Once I start talking about money, I get tongue-tied. Give me money. That's all I got. Just give me, I'm going to go on my anchor page and give me money. I would love some money. <laughs> Pay me to do this research. I could do better research more frequently. And then my daughter might have more of an incentive to get up here on top of this mic. I don't know what's, what's holding up. She did all the research on her own, did the interview on her own. But, yeah, she flaked out on me, and that's all on her. So I, I will see you guys uh, next week. No, later this week. And later this week, I think I will add to the... Because that episode is going to be pretty short. I'm going to add some book reviews and movie reviews of some really cool movies that I've seen. But this one has gone on so long that I'm not going to add anything to it. You guys have a great week and be good to one another.